to Daniel chapter 1. All right. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Like, how are you going to connect those two dots? Well, you will see. <laughs> so we'll do Psalm 23, and we have a lot of scripture we'll read today, um, or I'll quote and I'll tell you where the reference is uh, for time's sake. Um, but we're starting in Psalm 23, and we will read that in uh, Daniel 1. How many believe that you're a person who carries hope with you and you carry solutions? How many believe that? <laughs> so here's, here's a quote just to, just to get us ready, right? The person who says, nothing can be done. And the person who says, oh, everything will be all right. They're the same person. Because neither will do anything. The person that says nothing can be done, it's just too far gone, the, the, the world, the situation, nothing can be done about it, is the same person that says, oh, don't worry about it, everything will be all right, because both of them will do nothing to change it. I don't want to be either one of those people that looks around either my family's life or the, the place that I work. Maybe it's a chaotic work environment right now. Well, we have a testimony. Nick told the testimony of how God turned his work environment around through honor, through a culture of honor. Instead of saying, oh, it's just too far gone, nothing can be done about it. Or instead of having the attitude, oh, it'll be okay in time, don't worry about it, we'll just wait till tomorrow, we'll bury our head in the sand, and it will be better when we wake up. Um, they're the same person, and they're people of inactivity. And we're not called to be people of inactivity. We're called to be, oh, he told us that we're leaven. Everyone okay? Yeah. Good? So uh, leaven is, is inactive, it seems, but it's not until the right moment, and then it springs into action, right? And so you and I are leaven. We are sown into the system of the world, and um, the last few weeks we've been talking about how we're not, we're in, a, in a, a war for the culture, and again, it's not where you're from, it's not what nationality you are, it's none of that. It's about a kingdom culture or a worldly culture. We're in a culture war right now of which one's going to win. As, and the example that I used was the pizzeria in as a Indiana or wherever it was where they, they said that they wouldn't um, cater a, a wedding for homosexuals. And again, it's, it's so funny to say that. Pizza for your uh, wedding reception. How romantic and how thoughtful of your guests, right? Um, anyway, they didn't go to the church and protest. They didn't go down to the doors and try to close the doors of the church. They went to a small business because they spoke out on their principles and their beliefs, not their judgments against other people. You can say that homosexuality is a sin and not be judging somebody. I know it's a shock, but you can say that. You can actually say something is wrong. I'm offended by red lights that are red when there's no one around. <laughs> I'm offended by that. But there's a law that says don't run the light. Whether I like it or not, I'm going to obey the law. So it's okay for us to say there is a law in place that says you can't go faster than this. You, you can't kill other people. You can't steal from your neighbor. You can't take your neighbor's wife or husband. You can't do this. Those are good laws to have, right? And we can say those things without meaning I hate you. So I, I started uh, the story last week. And so um, Dana Lash, radio personality, started a GoFundMe page for this pizzeria because they were closed down. They weren't going to make any money. 
And this is a small town. I think 3,000 people or so in this town. And that could cripple and put a business out. If they're down for a week, that could be it for their business. I mean, legitimately. And they didn't know what they were going to do. So they started a GoFundMe uh, campaign. And do you know how much money they raised? Over $500,000. Or was it actually close to a million dollars, I think, came in? I don't remember the exact. $852,000, some ridiculous amount. They raised because Christians said, hey, I'll put my money behind my beliefs, and I'll support a brother that's in need. So that money has been transferred to this business, which $800,000 is a lot of money to a small business. So guess what they did? They took a vacation, they retired, and they, they bought them a big house, because, you know, Christians are selfish people, right? Yeah, they did. They, no, I'm just playing. <laughs> they set up funds for other businesses that were going through the exact same thing and gave some of their money to other businesses. <laughs> Because Christians are good people. And this is about culture. It's not about church. It's about the culture. And the Lord wants us to realize that we have to set our sights to a different place. We can't just look here. Oh, it's all about church. It's about getting people into church. It's about getting people to say a prayer. Look, we've done that for a long time. The church has gotten really good at creating atmospheres, making altar calls, and getting people to say prayers, asking Jesus into their heart. And then we've gone right back out, and we've lost the whole culture. We've lost the culture. We lost in, the, in 62, we lost where prayer was taken out of schools. And don't even, I mean, we're, and that started something, we lost the abortion. Where now over 50 million babies have been killed. We, we're losing the culture. We're losing the argument on gay rights. We already allowed them to make this... Um, uh, a civil rights issue when it has nothing to do with civil rights. It's a preference. These aren't rights, these are preferences. So we've, in the culture, we've, we've, more people are going to church, more people are getting saved. If you look at the numbers, it seems like more people are Christians now and, and good people now than ever in the history of America, yet we're losing the culture. Why? Because it's not about saying a prayer. It's not about just saying you have a Bible in your house. It's not about saying, oh, I'm a Christian, I believe these specific things. It's about changing culture. The problem is, is that we've, we've, uh, we have not managed our appetite as Christians. And this is where I want to talk about today. Managing our appetite. Making sure that Jesus Christ is enough for us. We sang about it this morning. Nick brought... Uh, a scripture about it this morning that, that, that Jesus Christ should be enough and we should be content and satisfied in Him. And so if you want to go to Psalm 23, we're going to read that. <clears throat> Psalm 23. It says, The Lord is my... You can read along. Whatever version you're in, it won't bother me. But you can read along. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You have anointed my head with oil, and my cup overflows." 
Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We all say amen to that. Everything we need is found in Jesus, the good shepherd. Why don't you say he's the good shepherd? <clears throat> yeah, how many? Yeah, you're going to read through that and just feed on it all week long. I was, I was, I was reading it or quoting it to the boys on the way to school one day, and I was like, guys, this is who we live for, and this is what we get in the deal. This is a great relationship. Now, why would any of us ever try to find and meet our needs in something other than Jesus Christ? And that sounds foolish, right? Is everyone okay? Oh, we're, we're, we, we love God. I know, we all love God, right? We love Jesus. We, 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 we want to live for Him. Yet at times, we allow our, our appetite to be satisfied in a different place. I want to go here today because this is really important. We have to come to the place where we're only content in God. We have to come to the place where we find our allure only in Him. David described the Lord as beautiful. And he said he wanted to dwell in the house of the Lord and look upon His beauty day and night. I mean, God is the definition of beauty. We're complete in Him. And so we need to, to come to a place where we discipline ourselves to where we only crave His beauty. Someone, someone that I, I listen to from time to time said that they've, they've, they've started reserving the word awesome only for God. Like, we use it all the time, but he's like, dude, the only one that deserves awesome is God. I'm not saying you change your vocabulary and go, but this person did because it mattered to them. I'm only reserving the word awesome for anything God does. Anything else, it's okay, and it's good, and it's, you know, it can have a golf clap. But God gets the roaring clap, right? (laughs) Had to work it in. Work it in. See, there, there comes a a place where we discipline ourselves. See, this is a discipline. Listen to me. Immature people will get their needs met anywhere. Uh, I'm going to dig today because this is really, really important. We want to change culture. This is where it starts. Immature believers or immature people will get their needs met anywhere. We're hungry. There's a buffet. I don't care what kind of food's on the buffet. I'm hungry. I'll eat whatever you put in front of me. But a disciplined person says, I don't like what's on that buffet. It's not beneficial to me and my body. I'm going to eat something better, even if it means I pass up this meal for another meal. That's called wisdom. It's called maturity as a believer. I went through a season where I I love to listen to podcasts, whether it's a political podcast, but mostly what I do is I listen to worship and I listen to sermons from different people. It's not just the same one person from different people. And I went through a time where the Lord's like, just stop. Stop listening to everything. Like, I want to feed you in a path and you're eating from over here and over here, but it's good. You're right. It is good. And an immature person can eat over here and can eat over here and can eat over there. But what happens? I'm over here and I'm over there and then I'm back over here again. But a mature person says, okay, look, that stuff's really good, but that's not where I'm at right now. I need to focus my, my disciplines right now and eat only what's on this path for this moment where God has me. That's for, what people, that's for people that are spiritually mature. 
It doesn't mean that you're evil and you're wrong for eating here, eating there. It just means you're immature. It means I'm immature. And the Lord wants us to mature ourselves. Everyone good? We're going somewhere, all right? See, Proverbs 13, verse 12 says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And we've heard that scripture. We've talked about it a lot here. The rest of it says, but desire realized is a tree of life. So when I think of hope deferred and the heart being sick, I look at that and I, I understand that when your heart is sick, you'll allow yourself to be fed in a lot of places because your heart's sick. How do people get into uh, abusive relationships? I, I never understand how, whether it's a man or a woman, it doesn't matter, can get into a relationship that's just abusive and not good for them in a, in a dating or whatever kind of relationship. And you, if you ask them, why, why are you in this relationship? Well, they're getting their needs met. But they have to put up with a lot of other stuff, but they're getting a need met because their heart's sick. They don't really believe that there's something better there. And their hope is deferred, and because it's deferred, they're saying, well, I need something right now. I'm sick right now. I'm wounded right now. I need my needs met right now. Instead of disciplining themselves and saying, you know what? There's something ahead better. You know, there, there are a lot of people that listen to the podcast, so I want to say this because I feel like I'm supposed to. There's a single mom listening right now, and you're, you're, just, you're ready to just jump into something, and the Lord wants you to just wait. There's something better. And I just feel like I need to say that. Don't let hope that's deferred. You've been waiting, you've been waiting, you've been waiting. Oh, this looks good. Well, it may be good, but good is the enemy of best. Amen? So when our heart is sick, we'll do a lot of things to mask the illnesses. We'll do a lot of things to cover up the symptoms of our heart being sick. You can't do life with a sick heart. You can't do life offended and upset with people or with church or with God or with your boss. You can't do life like that because what what happens is we're in that place where our heart is sick. We add things to our life to cover up our sickness. And all of a sudden we're carrying around weights and burdens and, and cares that we weren't ever made to carry. And we added it just because we were treating symptoms instead of the issue. But he goes on, he says, but a desire realized becomes a tree of life. The Bible says if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. That's Psalm 37, verse 4. He will give you the desires of your heart. Stephen opened up with it. Here's the answer to, to problems. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. I don't need to add other things to me. When I have a sick heart, I'm the one adding to my life. Now, I know I've been in this place different times, and I've realized how arrogant it is for me to think I can add something to my life and think that it's good for me without God's approval. But it's a lot easier through a submissive state to let God add to my life what he sees fit to add. It's all about maturity again, remember? So when our desire is realized in Christ, it's because he's the good shepherd. He's good to us. He is our shepherd. If you want to jump to uh, Daniel 1, we're going to read this. And we're going to go where I really want to hit today. So Daniel chapter 1, and we'll start with verse 8. You know the backstory, right? We'll get into some of it, but pretty much familiar with this, I hope. 
This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible, the, the story of Daniel and his friends, right? Verse 8 in chapter 1 of Daniel. But Daniel made up his mind. Listen to this. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. Now, think about this for a minute. Was the king's food and his wine evil? I just want you to think about it. Just let that sit for a minute, okay? So he sought out permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my Lord, the king, who has appointed your food and your drink. He's the one that tells what you're supposed to eat and drink. And I'm afraid that if I listen to you and don't make you eat this, then I'm going to be in trouble, right? How many in the same situation would, uh, number one, I'm looking out for me, but I'm also serving the king, right? For why should he see your faces looking more haggard? I love that. Looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age. Then you would make me forfeit my my head to the king. It's a nice way of putting it. (laughs) I will forfeit my head to the king. But Daniel said to the overseer who the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given to some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the others who are eating the king's choice food. And the deal with your servants, and then, then deal with your servants however you see fit. Pretty cool. Sounds like a great, great plan. So the man listened to them in this matter, and he tested them for 10 days. He said, all right, you've got 10 days. At the end of 10 days, here's what's going to happen. If your appearance seemed better, and, the, and you were fatter than all the youths have been eating the, the, the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and wine they were to drink, and he kept giving them vegetables and water. As for these four young people, God gave them, listen to what happened to them. They were already the wisest of the wise. That's who uh, Nebuchadnezzar brought into their kingdom. He went out to other, other countries and territories that he was conquering, and he took the wisest people from that territory, and he killed all their families, and he made them eunuchs, made it where they couldn't have family, they couldn't have children, and he brought them into his kingdom and is going to completely retrain them. Here's what happened to those guys that said no to the king's choice food. It says that God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. How awesome is that? This is something we should pray over our kids. God, give our kids intelligence and wisdom in every branch of literature and wisdom. Amen? Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Then at the end of the ten days which the king has specified, The commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and out of them, all, um, not one, was found to be like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They were the best of the best. The test worked for Daniel's favor, right? So they entered the king's personal service. They even got a promotion. Hello? As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all his magicians and sorcerers that were in his nation. How awesome is this story? 
Now, um, just, just so we can have some background, I mentioned what happens. These, these people were taken as prisoners of war, literally. And, and basically, all of the things that they had grown, grown accustomed to in their life, all the things that were familiar to them were removed from them. And so, <clears throat> why, why did Nebuchadnezzar do this to them? Because he wanted to completely retrain them. He wanted to put a new culture inside of them. See, their operating system was brilliant. They were the wisest of the wise. They could tell dreams. They could, they could do the same, same things all his magicians did. So they were supernatural. And he thought, you know what? I, I, their talents are, and gifts are there. I want to reshape the way that they think so that when I re-educate them, then they can influence my nation and my culture according to what I put into them. I want to re-educate them. I want to change the processes in which they think. So when I think about this, I, I don't see them saying no to the king's food and to the king's wine as rebellion. I don't see them saying, look, you treated us horribly. You killed our parents. You did this evil things to us. You've brought us into and you've basically um, um, manipulated our minds to think completely differently. You changed our names. You took God out of our name and put your God's name in our new name. They didn't do this out of rebellion or out of spite to Nebuchadnezzar. They did it because they already were getting their nourishment from the king. Their king. I want you to see this. There's a, there's a place in Proverbs 23, verse, uh, it's 1 through 8. And it says, be careful when you sit down at a king's table. If you're a man of great appetite, put a knife to your throat. That's what it says. He says, don't eat this man's meal. Because if you eat the meal, you partake in his mindset. You partake in his culture. So he's telling them, don't do this. I believe that the wisdom that God gave Daniel and them showed them, if I begin to nourish myself, we're going back to passions, we're going back to appetites. If Daniel, in the culture, began to fulfill their appetite with what the king filled his appetites with, then they would begin to have the culture and the mindset that the king had. It was idolatry to them to even partake of the king's food because they knew if I am nourished from this, then I will continue to be nourished by what the king is nourished by. That's why they said no to it. They wanted to eat the appetite and the meal that God said that they could eat. They wanted to remain faithful to their king even in the midst of being retrained and reeducated. And because of that, God gave them wisdom, He gave them stature, He gave them new abilities and supernatural abilities to, to, to understand dreams and visions. And because they were faithful in this, the king saw them and said, man, they are ten times better than anyone we brought in. And I bet the people that brought in Daniel and his friends got a promotion too. It's like a scout with baseball. You found uh, Juan Gonzalez, good job, you're getting promoted in scouting. You found Pudge Rodriguez at 15 years old. You're getting a promotion as a scout. I believe Nebuchadnezzar promoted the people around him and says, you know what? You did a good job finding these guys. You're going to get promoted too. This is just me reading into the story, right? I, I believe it's true. So they got promoted into the king's personal service. Why did this happen? Because they were content in God alone. And even when they were presented foods that they had never tasted before, they weren't rich before. I mean, I would think if I was one of those young men brought into this system, I would be excited to eat the king's food. 
I would be excited to drink his wine and be able to be in his presence. But they didn't, it wasn't appetizing to them because their appetite was being nourished by God alone. Is this making sense? So I believe that they said no to these luxuries because they were already being fulfilled. And why is this important? Why did I go through all that? Because you and I, as believers, are given the opportunity to manage our appetites. We're given the responsibility, the honor, the privilege of managing our own appetites. See, our appetites and our passions will lead us into mindsets. We hear this in our house a lot because we're trying to really retrain or re-educate our family on what good food is. To me, there's not many good uh, foods better than a Whataburger cheeseburger. (laughs) I just love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Right? It's just great to me. And when I'm craving a cheeseburger and there's a Whataburger around, or maybe they're serving breakfast, I'll take a potato, egg, and cheese taquito. I just love fast food i don't know why i was raised to love fast food but you know what my body doesn't respond real well all the time to the foods that i think are really good and so what we're learning in our house is we crave what we eat and if i keep eating whataburger what do you think i'm gonna crave whataburger and and don't you go get whataburger after church today if you do go remind ask me i may be open for lunch right (laughs) but but we are finding and i'm finding i like foods that i never liked before in my whole life don't give me spinach i love spinach don't give me cucumbers and all the other different vegetables that when i was growing up i was convinced was the devil (laughs) this is the devil's food i hate this and i would fight to where i wouldn't eat those things i remember i was the last person at the table almost every meal because i was so picky And my parents are like, you're going to sit there and eat those red beans and rice or whatever it was that I was convinced that I hate now that I love, right? Because I craved, only craved what I ate. So we're learning this in food. It also applies to our soul and the things that we feed our spirit and our soul on. I crave what I eat. Oh, me? The danger of those appetites It's not that I watch too much TV or that I like sports too much. That's not the danger. The danger is that that appetite begins to create a mindset and a thought process in me that says, I need this thing because it fulfills me. The thing isn't evil. It's when I allow the thing to be, be what brings me nourishment that is where it's evil. So does that mean God is against fun and pleasure? No, he invented fun and pleasure. I don't know if you know this or not, but God is the most fun thing in the universe. He is. I know we've painted him like he's not, but he really is. He really loves fun. And he loves it when we find our pleasure in him and things that he has given authority to. So we can, I'll say this, you can find pleasure in your marriage because God ordained and gave authority to your marriage. Amen? You can find pleasure in friendship 
in activities that are physical activities. Because God has says, this is okay for you. It's when I find things and I, I add things to my own life to, to meet a, a sickness or to mask a symptom or to fulfill a need that God doesn't even call a need in me. Remember, when I crave something, when I have an appetite for something, it makes me think differently. It just does. M- Mandy's convinced that I have a sugar addiction. My name is Jared. I am a sugaraholic. <laughs> I need to work the 12-step plan, you know. And, and if anyone else has been there before or you know what I'm talking about, you have those moments where you just dip. Your body dips and you, you don't even know it, man. I just, I'm craving chocolate milk right now. I don't know why. I'm craving. What, what, what have I done? I've allowed an appetite to create a mindset that has even shaped and caused my body to respond to it. Is everyone okay? So what does this mean? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He's the one that causes me to lie down in green pastures. He's the one that restores my soul. He's the one that comforts me and causes me to to be healthy and whole. These other things aren't evil in themselves. They are only evil when they compete with God being our shepherd. Amen. In Daniel 11, verse 32, it says, Those people that know their God will do exploits. So why does this matter? Why did I bring this up today? Because it's time for us to mature as believers Immature people can have their needs met anywhere. I love watching cooking shows. Anyone else? I, I, I used to get so annoyed at the judges. Like, oh, this has just got too much salt. And they would do their whole ridiculous, like, this is not up to quality. This is, you did something wrong. But you know what? They have trained their, their taste buds, their appetite for really quality food. And if you serve them something that's not quality, they're going to turn their nose up to it and they're going to be snobbish about it because it doesn't meet the quality that they've trained themselves for. They are insulted that you would put in front of them food that is not to their standard. And it's legitimate. And I used to think, how arrogant, how stupid. No, they are people of excellence. They know what is excellent. You put something that's not excellent and they know it and it it offends them because they believe that they are only to taste excellent things. It's time for us to begin to become more mature believers. And, and yeah, connoisseurs of excellent things. So that when something's put in front of us that doesn't match up, we're kind of arrogant about it in a godly way. <laughs> Is there such thing? How dare you put this in front of me? And <laughs> bring something else. <laughs> All right, I'll move on. Yeah, yeah. Yes, we need to be French Christians. <laughs> I want to read Hebrews chapter 5, 11 through 14, real quick. Concerning him, we have much to say. This is Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. And it's hard to explain. 
So there, he's, the author is saying, look, we have much more to tell you about him, the Messiah, Jesus, all this stuff going on. But you're making it really difficult for us to explain it to you. He's saying, we have trained ourselves in the excellencies of God. And we want to give you the excellencies of the kingdom. But you're making it really difficult because you're one of those people that caters your wedding with pizza. <laughs> this is what he's saying. We want to give you steak and you still crave milk. You've become dull of hearing. For, for by this time, you ought to be teachers yourself. But you are needing again for someone to teach you the elementary principles and the oracles of God. And you have, you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes of only milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. For he is an infant. He is a baby. But solid food is for who? The mature. And listen to the rest of it. Solid food is for the mature who because of practice, everyone say practice, we're talking about practice, because of practice have their senses trained to discern good from evil. All right, I want to close with this because this is awesome. A key to cultural transformation is you and I, you and I becoming mature believers who are being nourished by heavenly sources, the excellency of God, all right? As we mature, we can discern good from evil. How many want to be able to discern good from evil? Now, immature baby Christians can discern what's good and evil. But mature Christians take it to another level of discernment. Instead of only being able to tell good from evil, we can now discern what is good nourishment and what isn't good nourishment. We've trained our senses, we've trained ourselves through practice of knowing what's good and what's not good. Everyone still good? Okay. So as we mature, we discern. Quick examples. When Jesus was tempted by the devil, he was hungry. Was he fully justified as the son of God to make himself something to eat? Yes. But the enemy came out of season, out of time, and Jesus instantly discerned good from evil. He didn't just discern that the devil was evil. He discerned that the options presented and the desire, the appetite that he was trying to stir up was not good nourishment. Peter, when Jesus, uh, when Jesus is being taken... In the garden, what does he do? He takes out a sword and he cuts off the sword's ear, the, the, the Malchus's ear. That was out of time. It wasn't the right thing. Even though Jesus told him to sell everything, they told him, sell your swords and buy clothes. And he says, now buy clothes and sell your swords, right? So in the middle of this, Peter has a sword and Jesus told him to have it. Why? So he can cut people's ears off, right? No. So that he could discern when to use it, when not to use it. And Jesus didn't tell him to use it, so he missed it, right? In Acts chapter 5, there's a story. Read Acts tonight, 
How many of you have been watching on NBC, the, the Christian series AD? If you haven't, you need to go back and watch them. They had the, we, we had the resurrection, and they had, you know, Jesus came back to life. And tonight, Holy Spirit shows up on the scene. So if you love about hearing about the Holy Spirit, for, I think it's 8 to 9 o'clock tonight on NBC, you're going to get to be introduced on national TV to the person of the Holy Spirit. There's an a, a official news brief came out from NBC that said, the Holy Spirit is coming. Oh, how awesome is that? So we get to, they don't know what they're prophesying on NBC, but Holy Spirit is coming, right? So read Acts, and you're going to see some of this through, through time. But in Acts chapter 5, um, some of the people were frustrated with the disciples, and they wanted them to, to be punished and shut up. And what did Gamaliel say? Hey, wait a second. Let's be wise. Let's be mature about this. If these men are in their own strength, then it'll fail. You don't have to do anything. But if this is from God, you don't want to find yourself as an enemy to God. That was wisdom. He didn't just discern good from evil. He discerned what was nourishing and what wasn't. And I want to close with one more, all right? Everyone okay? All right, I'll take that. In Acts chapter 16, it's the story of Paul and Silas. And for time, I'm not going to read it all, but it's Acts 16, 25 through 40. Paul and Silas were in jail and they began to pray, and they began to sing songs and hymns unto God. And what happened? Earthquake came. And it not only broke off their chains and opened the doors of the prison, but every prisoner's shackles came off, and everyone in the prison, the doors were opened. But they didn't leave. Why wouldn't they leave? It makes sense. God delivered us. We need to leave. But they discerned that it wasn't time to leave. And the prisoner, when he saw that all the doors were open and all the prisoners were free, he got scared because he knew he was going to die because he messed up. And to honor the prison guard, this is an amazing story of honor. To honor the prison guard, Paul and Silas stayed in jail, unshackled with the doors open where they could have freely walked out. Because they discerned there was a bigger moment taking place here. So what happens? The prison guard says, Sirs, what do we have to do to be saved? And they're like, oh, well, this is the nourishing thing right now. Remember Jesus told them, he says, I have food you don't even know about. And then he told them what his food was. What was it? To do the will of the one who sent me. So Paul and Silas could have stepped out of, in freedom and taken all the captives with them. But they stayed in prison to honor this guard because they didn't want him to be punished. And then he asked for the gospel, and they'd say, all you have to do is be, repent, believe in Jesus, and be saved. He goes, hey, would you come to my house? I want you to preach to my family. So Paul and Silas goes with this guard to their house, preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. The entire household was saved, and they were baptized that moment. So Paul and Silas leads a parade back to prison. This is crazy. I would have taken off. <laughs> and saying my chains are gone I've been set free <laughs> just running right but no they, they, under, they discerned something bigger here and they were actually they went through the appeals process and they were saying you know these people are Roman citizens they, they should have been tried and so they were taken out by the, the, by the ones in authority they were released by them in this story I want you to see the maturity there they could have run and, it, and they might have been okay in doing it but they discerned that there was a bigger moment here. This is where we're at as a church. 
<clears throat> I, I said this last week that how many have ever been in an opportunity and you felt like you missed it and you felt shame or guilt? Like, man, I, I could have done more there. Remember, that's the Lord allowing you to feel what you actually have authority for. And that feels like, man, I actually do have a solution to this and, and I didn't do something. Why? So that next time I will discern the moment and in, in maturity, I will meet the need that God has given me the opportunity for. If I feed myself and I uh, uh, um, feed my appetite with things that aren't excellent, then I will miss those moments of, of discernment. Mandy and I are like chomping at the bit because opportunities are opening up for transformation in the city. Opportunities are, we're hearing from you, opportunities of where God's giving you favor in your workplace. I want you to discern the moment right now. We're not here to just be able to say, oh, that's good and that's bad. A baby Christian can do that. We're here to discern the moment that God has given you authority and God has given you power to bring heaven to earth. He's given you the opportunity to transform culture to influence minds and hearts. He has given you the opportunity where you're at to change the appetites of people around you. To give them an appetite for things that they didn't even know they wanted. This will not happen if we stay immature. This will happen through the practice of disciplining our appetites. So here's the homework. So we have a week-long altar call. It's time for us to discern where we're being fed, where we're being nourished. To ask the Lord to cause us to, to discern, to judge between what's good for us and what's not good for us. I say this many times, but we don't legislate what morality is from the pulpit. I mean, there are the principles of God that we teach that that's morality. But as far as what you add to your life or what you are entertained with, that's totally between you and God. But some of the things, uh, just completely honest, some of the things that we feed ourselves with, that we get some need met, it's not nourishing for who we are now. It's ill-fitting. It doesn't fit us anymore. It may have been okay before, but it's not okay anymore. Is this making sense? The Lord is my shepherd. I'm not my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't choose what I add to my life and what I take away. The Lord directs me and gives me guidance on what I add and take away from my life. It's a partnership. But he's the first in the partnership. He's listed first. Right? So, Father, we, we come to you now and we ask that you would speak to our hearts. That your spirit would come now and speak spirit to spirit. And that you would help us to mature. Help us to crave pure things. Help us to crave excellent things. And God, I declare that when our cravings begin to shift, we'll have the mind of Christ, we'll think differently, and it will completely transform everything about us and those that we come in contact with.
Why don't you stand and <clears throat> I think I want to do it like this. Um, well, the first, the first time we're, we're going to give an opportunity. When we say it's time, you know, prayer time, altar time, ministry time. It's an invitation. It's an opportunity. All right, and we're gonna have an opportunity. If you want to be healed, you need healing in your body. Someone's gonna pray for you. We believe Jesus heals. God heals right now. It's not for the old times. It's not for special people. It's for all of us. If you need to be saved today, maybe your heart's not right with the Lord, and you just want to recommit yourself or give your heart to the Lord. Someone will pray with you here at the Salvation Banner. It, um, today is the day of salvation. It is. Today is the day. Um, and then if you need anything else, you're having a crisis, you need a miracle, someone will meet you here in the middle to pray. But before we do that, I'd like for you where you're at to pray a prayer, whatever words you come up with, but pray a prayer of um, asking the Holy Spirit to search. Ask Him to search your heart. I mean, we're really... Exciting things are here. And the responsibility, not only of each individual believer in this room and this part of this church, is increasing... But the responsibility on this church in our community is increasing. And it takes all of us. It takes all of us. And so um, this is serious today. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad you let me take my time and, and, and dig into this today because of where we're going. I want to be people who are only fed by God. Anything else comes in, we just recognize that that's not good. And we turn our noses up to it because we want to feed others on what we're being fed. The fruit of our life becomes the food that they eat. I don't want them eating bad fruit, you know. So, so would you just take a moment, and ask the Lord to search your heart and speak to you. <clears throat> Search us, Holy Spirit. Investigate our life, God. Yeah, just search us. Uh, we pray David's prayer. Search me, O God. Uh, I want to change it a little. Search me, O God, and see if there's any appetite in me that's not pleasing. See if there's a craving in me, God, that you didn't put there. Change our appetites today. Would you pray that with me? Dear God, I ask you to search my appetites. See if there's anything that I crave that's not pleasing to you. And change my appetite.
Lord, like Daniel, we say we have purposed in our heart that we will not be defiled by anything that's not from you. We will not be defiled by our appetites, God. Yeah, won't you say that? God, we purpose in our heart not to be defiled by our appetites. Mm. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. We're going to open the altar. You like prayer. It's an opportunity for breakthrough. I just want to thank everyone for coming. Glad you're here. We, we bless you and we hope that you'll um, not leave with a burden. All right? Don't leave with a burden. That would offend me. I'm serious. It really would.